wasn't it Will Chancellor who was like, I don't want anything on the back of the book ever? Like, yeah, he was just like, is a writer. Yeah, that's all you should have. Maybe okay. a state, I think. But he's like, I don't want to know the city. If you live in New York, that could mean you live in Albany. Yeah. Right. How about sure. just mammal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. Okay, my name is Christopher. I'm Drew. And this is So Many Damn Books. And we have Myla Goldberg in the damn library with us. Here I am. Thank Hi. you for joining us. Myla Goldberg is the best-selling author of The False Friend, Wicket's Remedy, and Bee Season, which was a New York Times notable book, a winner of the Borders New Voices Prize, a finalist for the Hemingway Foundation Pen Award, and was adapted to film and widely translated. And you're here to discuss your new novel, Feast Your Eyes. Yep. All that stuff is true. Uh, so, so far, so good. As far oh. as I know, it all sounds good. Great. We're so glad you could come and join us on the show. This is so exciting. Well, I mean, you're giving me a drink. How could I? (laughs) (laughs) I am indeed giving you a drink. This is a drink. Um, Should I talk about the drink? Yeah, do it. Go for it. Okay, so I'm calling this. um, So this is inspired by your book. It's called Quick Fixer. um, And it's partially because um, this is like when I was looking online at what the photochemicals look like color wise oh. i was trying to get like the color of <laughs> oh, fixer cool uh, um, okay yeah yeah and it's a green chartreuse sort of lens okay. that in so and I, the earl gray too maybe yeah, a little bit right? a little bit mm-hmm. yeah 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 so it's juniper infused gin um and lo-fi sweet vermouth a little bit of green chartreuse um little earl gray simple syrup and some fresh squeezed lime juice shaken up and put into a coop yeah. It's really good. Do I feel like every time I swallow it's going to like project across the airway. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's they okay. hear us they hear us sip our cocktails. Okay. It's part of Excellent. I, I I hope it's part of the party atmosphere that we create. Yeah. What you can't do is smell the way that for me, I don't know if either of you were photography people at any point in your lives, but it makes me there's a sense memory of the smell of chemicals in a dark room mm-hmm. that comes with this drink. Oh. And I realize that that's not that's not going to sound like it's a good thing, but it is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, like, there's, I, I love that one of the um, character beats of Lillian is she's out when she's looking for an apartment, she needs it, a bathroom that, like, sort of fits all of her darkroom equipment. So, yeah. gin, bathtub gin. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah there's, a, the there's more the connections. World. I love it. That's great. <laughs> because I layers can, on layers. Layers, yes. So um, you should have a, once you've done, I mean, you've done this enough already, but you should have a bar that all you sell are the cocktails that you've like done for the various like yeah. occasions and you should call it the library. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh yeah. You're right. We have, a, I think there's 73 cocktails based on books. Um, You're you, ready to go. Yeah, you we can, can quit go the right whole away. podcast thing, go uh, open a bar. a bar. That's probably a great to, idea. Looking for a reason to quit. <laughs> 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 um, you can actually uh, go to our website, so many damn books.com slash the damn bar if you want to. Uh, look at all the drinks that have been drunk on the show so far. Yeah. If you want to do that. Including this one. <laughs> Including this one. Do you give recipes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. No, and, and you will get a card. Nice. You... Yeah. <laughs> so that is the drink. I'm so glad that everybody's liking it. Um, should we talk about the other, the next part of the show? The capitalism part of the show? Uh-huh. The <laughs> what'd you buy bit. <laughs> Drew, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I have two. One is a graphic novel slash comic. It just showed up. Um, Brian K. Vaughn, 
who did Saga, Why the Last Man. He's got a new... Wrote on Lost. Yeah. He's got a new one that ran for five issues called Barrier. Uh, and it was on, they were only releasing the comics themselves. It's half in English, half in Spanish. And it's set on the border. And um, an immigrant and a woman who lives on the Texas border both get abducted by aliens. Mm. It's a, just like a beautiful object. They did a hardcover slipcase for the five issues of the comic. Mm. Um, and I just, I don't even want to open it. I just want to <laughs> stare at it. <laughs> it's it's full of promise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other book, equally full of promise and weirdly fitting for this conversation, is a book called The Ambrose J. and Vivian T. Seagrave Museum of 20th Century American Art, a novel by Matthew Kirkpatrick. And it's out from... Uh, a university press in Cincinnati hmm. and I saw a li- I saw listing about it and similarly to feast your eyes it is it is following an entire gallery and sort of like apparently wall text and snippets of conversations as you like move through it and I guess like a George Perec kind of way cool. mm. yeah that's fun I have and it feels like there's a lot of promise cool there was some was it a short story it was like a list of things up for auction mm-hmm what was oh. that called? Um, the interesting artifacts. Yeah, and, yeah. I think the Chapton book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah she I was, love books she was that do just stuff here. Like that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, those sound good. Do you want to mention? Mila? Um, right, a purchase. Um, uh, or well, or a library of some kind. Well, you know what? I per- well, so does it? It doesn't have to be a book. No. Okay. Um, so I live in this part of Brooklyn that's sort of a confluence of a lot of different cultures both um ethnic and mercantile Mm -hmm. and um i was walking down the main street of it and there are these three kind of clothing storefronts but they're not clothes that people wear (laughs) they're like the clothes that nobody will ever wear they're like it's like the land of misfit toys but for clothing so it's like all these closeouts and they have racks and bins of things so i was walking down the street i guess last week and on the two dollar rack in front of the store were these shirts, there's like maybe 15 of them, and they all are these white shirts cut in this way that was not actually shaped for a human form. It's <laughs> like the shoulders were way too big and so were the arms. And on the front it had this applique and this like iron-on thing, and it said, dream girl life surrealism. <laughs> and um, so I had to buy one, <laughs> and I did, and I, I gave it to my daughter, and she loves it. Wow, so. I love that. Dream girl life surrealism. Yeah. <laughs> That, that that seems like an iTunes like music category like that you didn't uh, <laughs> right or it'd just be a great band the name of an album mm-hmm. it's just yeah 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 that's like the new Animal Collective record or something yeah. totally <laughs> yes that would work oh that sounds really uh, that's a that's some nice high fashion right there <laughs> yes very high <laughs> Christopher um yeah so we get we got sent a book that like it just immediately sounds like it was written for like you and me. Um, mm-hmm. Drew, it's called Magic for Liars by um, Sarah Gailey. And it's a novel um, that's, I get, it's sort of like um, those Claire DeWitt mystery novels, mm-hmm. um, but uh, set in sort of a Love Grossman magicians type world. So uh, this like detective is the sister of a uh, mage and is called in to solve a mystery in the magical world because they what don't trust the magical police. Let's, can we get technical for a minute? Because I've never understood <laughs> the demarcations of various like magic people. So I'm only 50 pages in so far and it's it seems like it's like, oh, 
like wizard is like lame like mage is the more like like hipster version of wizard yeah yeah Um, okay like it's just like a i think it's like a personally like how do you feel as a magic practitioner okay so any wizard could be a mage if they were just like confident enough Mm -hmm. (laughs) or the other way around any uh, mage could be a wizard if they're like i think it's just what like label you want to own as a magic person okay that's what i've gotten but it's not like a all mages are wizards, but not all wizards are mages. No, no I don't okay. think so. I okay. think it's really more like what sort of world are you? How in? about facial hair? Are there like facial hair requirements for the like? Because they're usually wizard does imply like a big beard. Yeah, so or does the, the mage hat. have just the sideburns maybe, and like a I don't know a hat, a funny hat. Yeah, just not <laughs> yeah. not the like modified stars and yeah. stars and moon. Like dunce maybe not cap. the cone shaped hat, but like a <laughs> like a yeah some it's just but, a kicky beret yeah, or a newsboy <laughs> a newsboy cap or something. Oh, oh that'd yeah. Be a, that's yeah. the mage the mage look. Uh, yeah. yeah, that could be it. This feels right. Uh huh. Dear fantasy I hope writers, I hope it's just a I hope like sleeves are universal though, like big mm-hmm. flowy sleeves. I mm-hmm. feel like that's every magic helps. Yeah. It helps with the gesticulation. Yeah. But not so much with the brewing things, because like, you've got oh, those yeah. things, the that could be a big problem. Yeah. yeah. I bet you if you went into the magical world and you went selling um, sleeve fasteners for yeah, what are they? Yeah, garters. It's yeah. like sleeve garters. <laughs> sleeve garters. We, need, we need mage sleeve garters. <laughs> we do. Yes. You can sell them at the library. Right. The bar. That'd be one of the, right, yeah, yeah. behind. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's um let's talk about your novel. Yes, uh, uh, feast your eyes. It's uh, can you tell our listeners what it's about? So I can. If I couldn't, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> um, it is about the life of a um, fictional female photographer who's active in New York in the fifties and sixties, and the novel takes the form of the catalog notes to her posthumous museum retrospective. That's like the elevator version, but I can do a couple more sentences since we're like we're, we're having a out. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the notes are written by her daughter, um, and the daughter is sort of describing their life through the lens of sort of this formative, deformative event, which was um, the her mom took naked portraits of the two of them together, and when those portraits were put up at a Brooklyn gallery, the gallery got shut down by the Vice Squad, and they basically were turned into an infamous case that made its way up to the Supreme Court. And through their infamy, it sort of deformed their relationship to each other, to art, to the world at large. And so the daughter is sort of talking about her mother through that kind of from that experience it's sort of kind of shaping the way that she ends up talking and then in addition to the notes written by the daughter there's journal entries and um, letters that the mom wrote and then there's in there's excerpts of interviews from various important people in um, Lillian is the photographer in Lillian's life so and it, it's an incredible it's a it feels like new, but it also feels very lived in reading experience, like reading a mm-hmm. reading a museum guide. Oh, cool. Um, and I was curious about just that form. Um, mm-hmm. How did it feel? Like, was it constricting? Was it were there times when you wanted to break out of it? Like what? Right. It was so fun. Well, so I first by saying form, I want to say I stole it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I first encountered this form in a novella by Stephen Milhauser, um, mm-hmm. is a, who is an author that I've been reading and loving for years and years and years and years and years and years. And and there is a book of his, which is a collection called um, Little Kingdoms, and it's got three novellas. And the middle novella is, I think the title is just like catalog from something, you know, it's, and it is 
just tells the story of a painter's life through the various paintings over the course of their career. But it just tells the story of the life. It's basically here is the plot. Hmm. But it doesn't it just stops there. And I read that. And I was like, oh, wait. Oh, wait, you could do so much more with that form. What a cool form. Because cool. I've always been, I'm a huge Perec fan. I've always been interested in, and Ulipo, like all those guys mm-hmm. doing wonky stuff with, with you know. Um, so I've always been interested in stories that take unconventional form. Mm. And so I, in a way, I kind of did break out of it in that, you know, Milhauser literally just used little entries. Mm. And, you know, I threw in letters and excerpts and interviews. And so that was the way. But once I came up with that as a way to kind of address all the things I wanted to address and get to all the people, no, I didn't ever. I was just so happy. Actually, <laughs> it was so much fun. It was so much fun to play with, mm. which isn't to say it wasn't really hard. It was really hard. And there were extremely challenging, a gazillion very challenging things about it. But mm-hmm. um, that's what makes writing fun. So. Yeah. Can you talk about one of the challenges? I'm sort oh, of curious. Oh, so easily yeah. could I talk about one of the challenges. <laughs> um, okay, so challenge number one. There's about, I should I haven't actually counted. There's a bunch of different first-person voices. It's all, so there's, mm-hmm. there's the daughter's voice, there's Lillian's voice, there's two friends, there's a boyfriend, there's an acquaintance. Like, so there's at least, five, I haven't counted, five, six, anyway, some number. And that's hard to do. And mm-hmm. in fact, I one gripe that I have is there's many books that purport to be more than one first person voice and they're actually not. Yeah. Like you've got the author's native first person and that always sounds great. And then they'll go to another one it's like, "Hello, I am being a different <laughs> person." And like, "No, you're really not. It's yeah. still you. Hi." And some of those books have done very well. They've mm-hmm. gotten lots of critical acclaim. They've gotten Pulitzer prizes. And I'm like, "Dude." And I was getting really upset about that. I was like, "Wait, you know what?" I am not allowed to complain about this until I have tried it for myself. And oh. so I was like, here it goes. Turned out really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, another big challenge is, so yeah, it's catalog entries, and each one starts with the description of a photo, mm-hmm. mostly. <laughs> and so to do that in a way that felt germane to the story being told at the moment of the, you know, because the story is moving along, and then I got to keep bringing you back to a photo. So how do I do that in a way that is A, not boring, mm-hmm. two, doesn't feel forced, right. and three, just feels organic to where we're going with the story. So those are two of the hard Mm. things. Did you ever think about presenting the photographs in some way in the book? Never. (laughs) Never. Um, Wow. Yeah, no, that is, no, I did not want to do that. Um, Do you see them in your head? Very much so. So almost all of them, well, number one, even if if I had wanted to, it would have been impossible because I already mentioned theft once this podcast. (laughs) Um, Most of those photographs are actual photographs. Um, I I immersed myself in the, myself, now I've got more than one person going on. (laughs) I immersed myself in the work of a gazillion different, not a gazillion, eight eight mm-hmm. or nine mm-hmm. different street photographers. Oh, yeah. And you list them in the back. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I list Because, you know, I do steal. But I guess it's only theft if you don't list. So right. I'm borrowing <laughs> or I'm inspired by. But all art, that's what we do. That's our job. Mm-hmm. So I had a bunch of different street photographers' books on my desk. And when I was writing the book, I was going through photography books and I'd put a little post-it notes by photographs that just looked promising or oh. like sparked my interest. And so I had like a whole a whole bunch of these photos that just seemed like they could have potential. And then once I started writing the book, when I'd get to a place, oh, I need a new photo, I'd go and I'd look at my little Mm -hmm. tagged photos. I was like, is this where? And so then what I would do, so some of the descriptions of photos in the book 
it's literally the photograph. All I did was describe someone else's photo. Right. Other times, there's a corner of an extant photograph that I wanted to be my photo. So in my mind, I kind of enlarged it so it became the entire photo. Wow. There's other ones where I would like substitute, like started out with um, a different person's photo as my baseline, but then I substituted different objects or put in a different person, you know, all in my head. Mm-hmm. And then other ones I just made up. Right. So cool. It's a combination. Uh, I I almost like I'd love to like the pop up video version like <laughs> yeah. to like just to see like which ones you you were actually using. Well, from. do you know what's so fu- so Vivian Meyer is a huge her work right. played a huge I, I role. So, yeah. In, yeah. I mean, well, the funny thing I was working on this book for about two and a half years before she was discovered. Right. So I right. was already way into this book, and then all of a sudden here's this, and I was like, oh, it's like it was a <laughs> gift from the gods for mm-hmm. me, and so um. Later, maybe a year or two after she was discovered and I was still writing the book because it takes a really long time, um, I went to see a documentary of Vivian. It was called Finding Vivian Meyer. Mm-hmm. It. And um, one of her photographs came up on the screen. I was like, what are they doing with my photo? I had Because what happened <laughs> wow. is I'd been living with these photos for so long and they are so vibrant in my mind now that they felt very much, they felt very personal now. They're very much a part of me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, right, that's Vivian Myers. <laughs> I just been looking at it a lot. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's a testament to how well you steeped yourself in that world, but also to the way that you write this, that Lillian feels like I could walk into the MoMA and see her photographs up yeah. against Avedon and Meyer and everybody who you listen to the back of it. She feels like a lost photographer who we've yeah. just discovered, it's which is really cool. She yeah. is, because she's just all of their photos. <laughs> 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 I love novels about photographers or that include photography in them. Like um, we both just read the Lost Children Archive, Valerie uh, Lucelli's new novel. And mm-hmm. there's like a bunch of, of that. And um, actually uh, Rachel Lyon came on the show to talk about her novel, Self-Portrait with Boy, which is also about like focuses on a photographer. I was just curious, like what is it about a photographer that like makes well, such a good fiction For me, character. I mean, street photography specifically, although also portraiture, mm-hmm. there's there's always a story there. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a narrative addict. I'm a junkie for narrative. And so the reason I'm drawn to photography is there is always a story in mm-hmm. those photographs. And I get to just look at that photo and the story comes alive and my imagination can just run wild with it. So, and also it's immediate. Oh my God. Like I have yeah. to spend 10 years writing a book and then you have to spend weeks or a month reading the book to get the story I want to tell you you look at a photo it's just like shazam it's just like all instantaneous in your mind it just happens it's like spontaneous combustion it's it's, yeah so I think there's a bit of jealousy there (laughs) that makes sense to me yeah there's also I mean the novel is also a portrait of this city and and this city's changing landscape and we're sitting in brooklyn right now but like i can't imagine a vice squad descending on a gallery <laughs> yeah. in 2019 it's i a mean different time well like, wait a little maybe bit longer in and 2022 maybe or something but yeah. um <laughs> but i i'm wondering about how how you were engaging with the politics of the time but also through the lens of somebody who's writing now both that Samantha is writing now. She's writing... And well, in 1990, but close right. enough. Right. What was it like to engage with sort of that continuum of what is acceptable and what's not? Well, I guess when I'm... I kind of don't think about the present day, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's a it's an immersion, it's an experiment in immersion. Um, it's time travel. And I just try to... 
I'm trying to be, for me, writing and method acting are very closely linked. When I write, oh, I try sure. to enter into my character's reality and mindset as much as possible. So it's, the present day doesn't exist. Like, I'm just, right. I, I just, I also, am a, I love to research. So, I, you know, I do enough reading so that I feel I can, with some amount of confidence, at least to myself, go to a place like that. Mm -hmm. And then everything else does, if I'm doing my job right, everything else does disappear. So I wasn't making comparisons. I was just like, I mean, I I talked to a law professor, you know, to ground myself in like what the legal culture was at that time yeah. and what happened and so then I just ran with it. Mm, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. One of the themes that runs through the novel and um is something that is germane to today as well is just that um Lillian is everyone is accepting bad behavior from her in a lot of ways um and in a way that like a daughter sometimes really can't but i guess like there's just accepting bad behavior from geniuses mm -hmm. like is something that we do and i'm just curious like what what you were um playing with there well i mean i i lovingly call this book my midlife crisis novel um <laughs> and it started with the very kind of foundational question you know i i when i started this book i i have two kids and so since I started this eight or nine years ago, they were smaller. And um, the question is, you know, is it possible to be both a brilliant parent and a brilliant artist? Are there mm -hmm. any examples out there? Mm -hmm. And I just started reading biographies and not finding anything. <laughs> um, and so I just, I wanted to approach that question through, you know, this idea. Although, Heart I think this is I think this is heartening. What I realized is um my research pool was not accurate because you only get a biography written about you if you did something really interesting or shocking. You know, mm -hmm. people aren't gonna read the story. She was really nice and she led this great life and she treated everyone well and she made good art. The end. It's just yeah, like you're not right. gonna write that book is not gonna get written. So what I did to sort of comfort myself is I told myself, you know what? There's probably lots of examples out there. I just can't get hard data, you know. <laughs> um but but so bad behavior. Um, yeah, she's, I mean, I think to be an artist is to be selfish. Mm -hmm. It's just, you have to, some degree or another, you have to be selfish. Otherwise, because who are you to decide that rather than say, clean up garbage or teach a child, <laughs> you're going to make a little story, I'm going to mm -hmm. make a picture. Like, yeah. oh, how nice for you. Right. So yeah, there's a certain amount of egoism and selfishness that is just part and parcel. And so then just the question is, can you compartmentalize that selfishness um, or does it bleed into other things? And like, and so if your art is good enough, I think people forgive you some of it because they know that it needs to be there to make the thing that is uniquely brilliant. Mm. Um, but I think it gives a lot of people license to have behaviors that are not, I mean, we're way too forgiving. We're way too accepting mm -hmm. of that kind of bad behavior such that it's now just to be expected. In fact, like if, if an artist who is well known does something nice, like, can you believe it? <laughs> they put this thing in the mail to me. I'm like, yeah, they're a human being. That's right. a human behavior. And so it really bugs me actually that artists are just kind of given free license to be assholes because right. no, that's not okay. You right. know, we have a compact with society, you know, we need to be a, so yeah. <laughs> I know it took you, like you said, eight or nine years to write this book. Were you ever tempted to change anything or shift anything based on the way that the world was developing around you while you nope, were writing? Nope, yeah? nope, nope, no. I just, <laughs> as, when I'm in it, I'm just in it. Yeah. And if I wrote, I mean, I think that's such a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I mean, you have to write the book you have to write and to try to cater to, well, it seems like this is trending. Maybe I should throw, you know, no. Um, so no, I was just writing it and 
yeah, but to to for to Lillian's defense, I think she does she does has some questionable behavior, but I think hers is all it, she comes by it honestly. Mm-hmm. I think she is really just being herself, and I think she really is trying the best she can to mm-hmm. be the best parent she can be, rather than take advantage of the fact, oh, I can get away with this. Like right. I think she's she's just really doing her best, which is why I think people do help her. Yeah, this is why I think people do help her, as opposed other people. In other instances, people give them a free pass because they're like, oh, well, you're so I'm going to just let you walk all over me because then maybe you'll like write about me and your thing Mm -hmm. or you'll take my picture. And it's like it's not about that. It's not transactional in that way. I think they see that she's genuine and she's really struggling and trying. And yeah. Can you talk about also the frames? There's a further frame story that like surrounds it just a little bit Mm -hmm. of this um of Franny panic and like Mm -hmm. and I'm just curious about um and how, you know, that's a, like a further circle around it. And also Franny Panic herself is like a right. interesting character just to have right at the beginning. So without any spoilers, just so you people listening out there who haven't read the book neck know what we're talking about. <laughs> so um, there's a there's a character named Franny Panic who introduces, she kind of writes the introduction or the forward to the catalog notes. And mm-hmm. she, within the context of the book, is a famous rock star person. Um, mm-hmm. And so... What do they sound like? Who... What band are are you thinking of them sounding like when you? Um, kind of a cross between Hole and Patti Smith. Nice, cool. <laughs> like, that feels right. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just like I, yeah, just sort of a, um, definitely testing boundaries. Definitely, like, definitely, there's some punk, and also the punk movement. Like, kind of, like, Pole is very post-punk, but like, you know, the the light your hair on fire, you know, mm-hmm. like take off your clothes and dance around. It's just, yeah, that I didn't have anything super specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying, I tried to avoid specificity there. Um, but yeah, anyway, so she sorry. introduces, <laughs> she introduces the catalog notes and then um, she is one of the people who Lillian photographed and then her photograph comes back later. That was, um, that was one of the more, I came across her, she was not one of the first things. She was not the first person that I tried to have introducing the catalog notes. Oh. Mm. Her as an idea, that definitely evolved as I was writing. It was more of a, some stuff when you're writing, it just arrives. Mm-hmm. It's part of just the natural discovery process. Some stuff when you're writing, you actually have to sit down and think, it's like, ooh, I have a problem that I need to solve. Right. There's a structural problem that has occurred in the book. And so she was actually the answer to a structural problem more than she huh. was an organic development. Um, because the original, my original introduction idea was just boring. Like, I just... Just, it was a really boring voice. I was like some curator, some stuffed shirt. Right. And I was trying to like make fun of academic language. <laughs> and I was like, wow, academic language is so awful. Why would you even want to spend time making fun of it? It's just not fun to read. So I realized right. I had to really spice up how the catalog notes got introduced. And I was that's, like, oh, this That's would... a total one, like 180 there. <laughs> yeah, it was a total 180. Um, yeah. My fiance works at the Whitney and I have come to see quite a few museum catalogs and there's one uh, Laura Poitras had an exhibit and the catalog Astronoise has like some short stories in it and it very much veers away from that academic language mm-hmm. and I wish that more gallery catalogs were like this novel yeah. like, <laughs> why not really why not combine artistic disciplines mm-hmm. and th- which actually leads me to a question that I want to ask you you have multiple artistic disciplines. Do you ever think about 
combining them. Yeah. Like music and yeah. storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got a folk band as well that you play in. It's like indie, rocky, folky, yeah. like indie folk. Yeah. Um. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm a very compartmentalized person, I guess. Yeah. Um. And I have my, my music. I mean. It's funny because sometimes when I'm on tour, people are like, oh, you can we can do a song too if you want. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I think my head would explode if I was asked to do that because like that's just, they're separate identities for me. Right. Mm. There's no reason that they should, that I don't know why. It's irrational. It makes no sense. I just, but I can't imagine doing both those things at the same time. It huh. just terrifies me. Um, But also part of it is I performing music solo, that is terrifying to me in a way. Like given a reading, I am so comfortable getting up in front mm -hmm. of people and reading from my book, but I've tried to do solo musical performance. Um, no. <laughs> like, like having the safety of having other band members with me, just yeah. like I'd have to, that's a whole nother, th I'd have to really work at it in a way that I don't know that I want to. <laughs> I was, um, I was in, in preparing for this episode, I was very surprised to find that the um that the Decemberist song like that's not just a coincidence. That <laughs> that's really you. Yeah. Um that's yeah. that's that's Amazing on a great and album. Really cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Like yeah. how did that what you can know talk about that? I wish I had a more satisfying answer for that question. Um I can tell you that so the story one day someone emailed me and they're like, Hey Mila, someone wrote a song the Decemberists wrote a song about you and I said, Who? Because I didn't I didn't <laughs> right. know who the Decemberists were and I thought they were joking. I'm like, No, they didn't. So I went to a CD music store because those still existed. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. And I went to the so I got the Decemberist CD and I you know, and then I saw a song from Mila Goldberg, so I bought the C D and I brought it home and I played it. And and I realized because I mean it talks about, you know, it talks about BCs and like it talks about Eliza and that's the main character of BCs and it talks about me being pigeon toad which I am and I was like how does he know about me it was like it was really cool but it was also really weird I was like oh my gosh so I actually sent an email just to the Decembris website I just said like dear Decembris thanks for the really nice song um, and this is where my mind gets fuzzy and I can't remember what happened after that I think I think what happened, and Colin Malloy, if you're out there and you're listening and you want to correct the history, I would love <laughs> that. Um, what I think it is, is that um, we crossed paths when I came to Portland on the B Season book tour, when I read it Pals. I think, I don't know this, again, Colin, help me out. <laughs> um, so there's, um, whatchamacallit, people who, escorts, escorts, media escorts. Mm -hmm. And when you come to a town, you've got lots of things to do, they oh, bring yeah. you around. I think maybe... He that was his day job, and maybe we met that way. Oh, um, and so and that's huh. how he knew I was because I'm really pigeon toed. So okay. like that's you don't have to spend much time with me to figure that out. <laughs> or maybe he was just at the reading. Um, I feel horrible that I don't actually know. I think I was so tickled but also so overwhelmed by it happening that I couldn't retain that information I was just like oh my gosh that's just too big and crazy and I'm just gonna forget whatever it was that that was so <laughs> that's where we're at wow. with it but yeah it was it's the nicest thing a total stranger has ever done for me it was wow. just like it was just so cool but um, it, that's amazing that it's, it's like completely amazing it, that it's a stranger thing because I uh, you would think that maybe you guys would be friends or something yeah, from before that's no. really interesting and yeah. people I know that that song has brought people to you know my books yeah you know there's people who like they they've saw the song and then they're like oh i want to go check this out so that's neat yeah, super yeah cool. that's really cool it's one of those songs that i didn't like i've remember every few years because like the unique new york part of right. the song like gets c caught in my head and i'm like what is that and mm -hmm. then i 
find my the way back to The funny thing it. is I can actually count. I, I've only listened. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've listened to the song. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, it just freaks me out. Yeah. It's just like, I, I mean, I, that is not a bad thing. I love it, but I cannot listen to it because it's just like too, like, so I, like the first time I bought it, I listened to it and then I put it away and like, I think I played it for my daughters once. I'm like, here, and actually I didn't listen. I, I went, I went to another room just, <laughs> and then I, I left. So. We can move to uh, the book you brought, actually, the, which is another book about cataloging. Of I a suppose type. it is. That yeah. was not on purpose, but you're right. Um, Census by Jesse Ball. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners um, yeah, wh- about sh- this book or why you brought it to um, us? Because it's super cool. Um, <laughs> well, so form. I talked of, I was we already mm-hmm. talking about how I like books that do something interesting with form. And this book does something really, a couple things really interesting with form. Right. The first thing it does is a novel bookended by personal essay. Mm-hmm. And that's not like that's sort of that's you see that every now and again, but the way he's done it and how effectively he does it. So the first part is a personal essay in words talking about, you know, having a brother who had Down syndrome and then um, and not being the, the paucity of novels that address that experience of, mm-hmm. you know, having a family member, you know, having a. So um, he kind of introduces the book that way. And then the end part is a photo essay of photographs of his brother throughout life. Mm-hmm. And um, then the middle part is just a novel, which has no has nothing to do like there's no one to one correspondence there. Yeah. The novel is about a father traveling with his son with Down syndrome. The father's near the end of his life and they're traveling together sort of as a last trip that they take together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the novel didn't need those personal essays, but having them there did give them a resonance, which mm-hmm. I really appreciated. Um, usually I'm a very, I'm, I'm very, um, <laughs> I told you how I was compartmentalized. I take a very compartmentalized approach to fiction as well, which is, I believe in fiction, you should make things up like this whole autobiographical novel. <laughs> no, that's a memoir. Okay. Would you just call it a memoir, please? Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. very, don't get me started on that. <laughs> if you give me another drink, I will, and we'll be in bad shape. So usually I'm very leery mm-hmm. of books that try, to like bring but um the way he did it i think is beautiful um and then the novel itself um it talks about big ideas you know like there's a lot of philosophizing in it but in the best possible way which is really high praise because i think that there's a lot of books that like they want to talk about the you know life's big ideas and it's so awful and just ponderous and um it's so beautiful and seamless and poetic and graceful and um thought-provoking and yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like that's some, something that Jesse Ball usually does. I've read a few of his novels now. Um, they um, they have this like uh, measured remove that he can sort of speak from and do the do the philosophizing. But this one has like another like side to it. This balance towards warmth, mm-hmm. um, towards his subject mm-hmm. matter, and towards the people that they're encountering along this census mm-hmm. road trip they have to the the reason the other reason for the trip is that they're traveling out from a to z this regions are named a to z um as they go out they're meeting people and have to catalog them right um, to them yeah, yeah make liter- the mark yeah i yeah. guess and the i mean the thing i think the reason i feel like the philosophizing, the characters embody the philosophy rather than so much having, like, I actually just finished reading The Magic Mountain. Talk about philosophizing. Oh, yeah. Like, and you've just got these, these going on and on and on, <laughs> which, you know, I enjoyed. But it, with with Census, like, um, 
the boy's mother who is dead, but like when we learn about her life, just the kind of person she was embodies a certain approach to life that I think Census is enjoying talking about. But because mm. it's embodied in this character and the choices that she made in her life, it just feels like a part of the narrative tapestry rather right. than just being lectured at by an author who wants to like talk to you about like the ideas they think are important. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the other reason it works so well. That's something yeah. I love about Jesse's work. I am a huge Jesse Ball completist. Mm-hmm. And all of his books, some of them are more successful than others for me as a reader, but all of them, I find that he's able to bring very complex, thorny philosophical ideas and not hit you over the head with them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, go so far as to like sneak them up on you a little mm-hmm. bit. Stealth approach. Yeah. yeah. And I just, it, it, it impressed me the first time. And then there's something like cumulatively more Im- impressive about it that he's able to keep doing that. It feels like a, a skill that it it seems like it should be a trick. Like mm-hmm. you can maybe pull that off once. <laughs> right. But then to discover that it is a skill and, and in this book where it is so much more personal mm-hmm. than any of his other work or at least any of his other work that he's talked about being that personal. Mm-hmm. This one's obviously personal. It's just upfront. Hello, this is personal. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah he, that's the, that first essay. It's like, yeah. it, it's almost like an apology for making it so personal. Like <laughs> he's like, look, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, to your point about um, making, like if you're writing fiction, make it all up. Um, mm-hmm. I was very surprised or I kept looking up um, whether or not his, there's a, um, one of the things that is a, uh, touched on subject is cormorants he's mm-hmm. always talking about this right. bird mm-hmm. and it, the all of that stuff that researcher that's looking at cormorants all of that's made up like oh, that's cool. not a that's not a real person or like any real research that's just like his poeticism but but the band around the neck thing that's a real thing yes. like yeah. using them as fisher birds and like but yeah. yeah that's cool to see and i didn't I so I don't look things up because I just want them to be part of the thing. So I'm just going to take it as a fictional thing, and I'm not going to do the research because I don't want to break through that barrier. I just want to live in the fictional bubble, whether or not that was the intention. Did you guys get a dystopian vibe from the world? That's, yeah. That yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's like uh, he he has uh, in a interview that i was reading he's like everything institutional is sinister mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. i completely agree like he didn't have to do much like to show like that this is a dis- he really didn't um well just know. making a physical mark on a person to be part of a census you're hello you're done like yeah. that's not okay yeah, and, that's that, not. and yet that's what is expected so yeah and some people are really into it like they're ready mm-hmm. to get marked marked and yeah. some are like you yeah you better get off my land um <laughs> i was actually <laughs> I, I I worked for the census in 2009. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. As as a census we as a census preparer um, mm-hmm. for the 2010 census. Oh, so you didn't go door to door. I did. Oh, you um, did. But I I was given this like it was before smartphones were ubiquitous, mm-hmm. and so we were given these weird um, Microsoft running pieces of garbage <laughs> that we had to go into um, a zoom air, areas of towns and and make sure that like the house hadn't that was on the map. Um, ha- didn't have any add-ons or anything, and like, the extension so, cords that you needed to yeah. just stretch from like the, <laughs> exactly and like miles and miles of cord. Um, it was a it was a crazy job. I ended up in so many. I it was back when I lived in Santa Cruz, and so I was ending up in these really crazy like um, planned communities and um, like 
secret communities. Like I was in a, a, commu- a Redwood community of Freemasons that really? I had to go like check off and make sure wow. that none of them had added weird stuff to their houses. So like, and there is like this really strange, like everybody has a different relationship to the person who's coming onto their land and uh-huh. saying like, hi, I'm here to count you. Um, like, it's not nice. Like everyone is very um, suspicious of you. Redwood, you got to go back to Redwood community of Freemasons. <laughs> what does yeah. that even mean? Yeah, it's... I mean, I, it's a, it was a retirement community okay, and okay. they were, um, and it was just in the redwoods Okay, and it, it had a little bit of an asphalt, uh, streets. I was going to say, is this these, like, like cabin-esque sort of houses? Kind of uh-huh. like culty up in the woods? Yeah. Oh. Really up in the woods in the Santa wow. Cruz mountains. Yeah. The plan, I actually, I worked for, um, a public interest research group, like those environmentalists, a Mary Perg, so Maryland, and so I went door to door asking people to give money for an environmental cause. And they would, I grew up in, um, PG County, which is sort of the armpit of all the counties. It's like the poorest, least impressive County in the DC metropolitan area. But we would always go to, um, Montgomery County to do our canvassing because that was the wealthy county and so specifically columbia maryland was like this planned community with you know names of streets like fragile sale way (laughs) just like that kind of place and so like going door to door there to like you know yeah so it's a it's a you know i know what that's like it's like um and people like some of them like they want to offer you lemonade and some of them they're like here's i have a gun like i'm allowed to like hold this on Mm -hmm. my land and you better Mm -hmm. walk away yeah i was uh in 2008 Summer 2008, I was canvassing for the DCCC. I had a dog pee on me. Nice. Like they made him? Yes. (laughs) Wow, they trained their dog to pee on It was incredible. I couldn't even really be mad. I, I what kind of dog? Kind of oh, I, it was like a little white puffball too. Like oh, not a not a dog dogs. that you think would like the be trained. Yeah. It wasn't like a German Shepherd where right. he was like I saw, and the dog just wild. I was very mad when I got back in my car, but at the time what kind I was of just shoes sort of were like sneakers. Okay, mm. so you I threw them in the that. washer when yeah. I got home. But it is it is weird to interact with people in that way, especially as we get farther and farther into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was it was. 10 years ago yeah and i remember there was still like and now i just i can't even imagine well yeah i don't even trust cell phone i I don't trust phone calls anymore like i don't want to like much less someone come to your door like i don't even want someone like someone's voice on my phone (laughs) one thing that i loved about uh census was all the singing in the car like that was one Mm -hmm. like that was one of my favorite things is there's just constantly they're always singing something Either and it seemed like it was mostly made up songs. Yeah. But there's never any specificity in a Jesse Ball novel. So like right. it, <laughs> he he's not like Stephen King. He's not gonna start mentioning like the exact song that they're singing. Yeah. Which goes back to like what we were talking about, you know, any temptation to put the photos, any photos in the book. And Mm -hmm. for me, I talk about this with my students all the time about how a story is a collaboration between the story and the reader. And part of the joy um, and excitement of reading a story is putting the picture, creating that picture in your mind. Like you Mm -hmm. are creating that world. And so by only describing the photos, the photo is going to come alive in your head, I think much more vibrantly than if any kind of example were provided on the page. And so it's the same with the Jesse Ball and the songs. We all have had that experience. Mm -hmm. By not naming the song, we're going to connect it to the joy and the intimacy that we experience singing a beloved song in our car. And so it can become our own, I think, in a way that it wouldn't were the thing actually named. Mm. Yeah, I think it that lack of specificity helps the clear emotional resonance that Jesse is feeling as he's writing this mm-hmm. not overwhelm the reader's experience mm-hmm. and allow the reader like yeah. 
to to map their own experience yeah, onto like it. Saying. Right. Because I I remember I remember when I heard that Jesse was writing this book, and I was like, that feels very outside of his wheelhouse. It yeah. feels like that warmth, and it is. It, there are moments where it is. It was disconcerting, but then to see the way that he's still like, right, but I'm going to allow you to still engage with it mm-hmm. as much as, as you want. As much as you usually do with the Jesse Baum no- mm-hmm. novel. There's still his, it still sounds like him. Um, this that, was my very first one. Oh, really? Oh. The Jesse Ball newbie. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Which should, should I read next? Which is the next one I should do? Um, <sighs> I think Silence Once Begun is okay. what it was, is what I would choose um, because it's, it's, very um it's very different but it, you can see that like there's some stuff that he there's little moments of beauty that really like he's very good at creating those cool. and that one is good at it all right that's, that's mine i would say how to set a fire and why okay mm. which is sort of his most traditional novel yeah i actually started that one and I was not as into it. Mm. Yeah. It just felt a lot younger to me in a way yeah. that I wasn't sure I was interested in. But that's the one that's right before this one. Huh. It's so crazy. Yeah. It's, I mean, every single one of his books is drastically different yeah. mm. in a way that, again, it's like, how? Yeah. How, how are you capable of this? Who are you? <laughs> um, do we want to recommend other books? Should we go to recommendations? Sure. Yeah. Well, I just finished reading The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann, <laughs> and I really liked it. Yeah? Um, I didn't think I would at first. Like, I I felt like every, every once a year I try to read a book that I really feel I should have read mm-hmm. already and haven't read already. And so I picked up The Magic Mountain, and it's a tome. You know? mm-hmm. It's a really long book. And as I was reading, I was like, oh, I don't know. If I'll, I'll give it a little more, but I don't think I'm going to read this whole thing. And so the funny thing, and this is not giving it away to people. <laughs> have, so it's about this guy, Hans Kostorp, who um, goes to visit his cousin at a, a sanatorium in the mountains. And he thinks he's coming just to visit for three weeks. And he ends up staying for seven years. And mm. you learn that in the first couple pages. So I haven't ruined it for you. <laughs> but so... I had an experience that paralleled Hans Kostorp's because I was reading The Magic Mouse, like, I'm not going to stick around. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read a little bit, and then I think I'm probably going to move on. And then at page around page 200, when Hans Kostorp decides he's going to stay is when I was I was like, I'm in. I'm gonna, <laughs> this is great. I want to read this whole thing. And so I don't know how that worked, but um, cool. wow. it was cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I enjoyed it. Um, what else is on that list? I'm curious of like the things that you're once Which, a year. Yeah. Yeah. Other, oh, I mean... I don't have, I mean, I don't have a list of the things I'm going to, I'm not checking them off as right. I go. It's just once a year, I kind of turn my mind toward, okay, what should I, what's another one that I haven't quite ever. The one, I mean, one I've never read that I'm not sure I ever will is Ulysses. Mm. I've tried that Ditto. thing two Ditto. or three times. And you know, I just don't like it. All that, you know, that said, I'm not a big fan of the modernists, mm. um, which is mm. funny because I talk about how I like narrative that tries, you know, alternate forms right but we were just talking about coldness Mm -hmm. and the coldness that just permeates modernism just so turns me off i feel like you don't you don't have to sacrifice humanity or just humanism or warm-bloodedness to tell that kind of story and like and kind of my goal with this book and just with books in general i want to merge um innovation and risk-taking but without with with humanity with mm-hmm, like a right. warm-blooded narrative that pulls you in where there's characters that you can relate to i don't feel like it has to be an either or and so my goal is always to sort of merge some kind of experimentation with you know just 
tell me a good story. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you (laughs) very much. Yeah. We recently read a Samuel Beckett novel for the show. Mm -hmm. And which one? Malloy. Malloy. Yeah. (laughs) That is cold is the easiest way to describe that. Yeah. I felt warm to it, though. Eventually. I kind of yeah. like that. I have I to say, it, I have a warm spot in my heart for Samuel Yeah, Beckett. that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Christopher, would you like to recommend something? Oh, yeah. I, I feel rapturous about a book. Um, I just finished it last night, um, and it's Elizabeth McCracken's Bowl Away. Oh, um, cool. I, I, you know, this is a, it's relatively new. It's out this year, and it's just, oh, my God. Oh, I loved it so much. It's about, um, it's about the history of a a candle pin bowling alley in Massachusetts bowl. and it uh, makes me want to bowl. <laughs> it's so like it it's so about the poetry and the motion of bowling and how fantastic it is and it's just like that sound yeah it's like bowl as much as we can. <laughs> That's really cool. Um and the characters are great and it's just like I don't know it it felt sort of like um I don't know like just the way that whimsy can hit at an emotional level that like elevates it to something else you know like um big fish did that and amelie like these things Mm -hmm. that are like storytelling i i kept thinking of it in um visual terms because like i hadn't read a novel like this it's not straightforward in a novel way there's no like tension of plot Mm -hmm. it's all just um character study and um, looking at the sort of the connections that you make over your life whether you mean to or not um and oh Boy, it's so good. Cool. Yeah, cool. That I highly recommend it, everybody. I'm excited to start it. Yeah. Drew? I will recommend another book that does sort of a fun, stylistic, uh, top-to-tail thing. Mm-hmm. Taylor Jenkins Reid's new novel, Daisy Jones and the Six, hmm. is an oral history of a fictional 70s band very Fleetwood Mackey in terms of everybody sleeping with each other and there's drugs and there's drama. Uh, it is often when people say like, this is a great beach read that becomes a derogatory term. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a quick down. But really like it's in the best possible way. This is the kind of book that like the weather's getting nicer. You want to just like go sit in the park and read. And then you're walking home, like start singing to yourself a Fleetwood Mac song. Mm-hmm. It's that it's really fun it's still pretty deep in terms of like it really goes into the lives of these people anybody who grew up watching vh1's behind the music and Mm -hmm. wanting to be like yeah i don't want to do that but i want to do the onstage cool music part yeah it it very much hits that vein of nostalgia Mm -hmm. but for something that is completely fictional and completely realized like at the back of the book she has all of the lyrics for the songs from their last record oh nice yeah yeah but then you're like what does it sound like? Yeah. Right, right. Which is really fun. Yeah. It's it's really, that was, I'm going to co-sign because I love that too. Nice. I really enjoyed that book. Cool. Every, that's a that's a really good one. And if you're looking for one more book to pick up, it's Feast Your Eyes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, go pick up Feast Your Eyes by Myla Goldberg. Um, it's such a great novel. Um, other things that you should do is go online to patreon.com slash smdb and support the show if you'd like to. We appreciate everybody who already does. You can tweet at us, Instagram, Gmail. All of it is some damn books. books. We'd like to hear from you. 
uh, if like you agree with us, if you reviews. don't agree with us, oh yes, we do like reviews. Um, and those, those we only want the good ones. Yeah, only the good reviews. <laughs> On Twitter, you can tell us any mean thing you want. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to really ruin our day, um, yeah. And thank you so much again for coming on. We so thank loved you your for novel. Me. Yeah, thank fun. you. And uh, seriously, everyone, go pick this book up. It's fantastic. Thank you.